Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. In the last episode, you got to know a little bit more about Jay. Today, you'll be finding out about me. Yep, and I'm going to be interviewing Rupi. You're going to learn what inspired him to study medicine, the difficulties of bouncing his career alongside his passion, and how his own health made him reconsider his lifestyle and eventually led to the launch of The Doctor's Kitchen. I'm going to start off like just going straight in the deep end, right? I know, because I've listened to your interviews before, that there was this one situation which took place when you are quite young. I believe you are like 11 or 12 and um, your mum took you to a room and she shared some information with you. And I know that played quite a big part in what's made you in this position here today. So it'd be great if you could just share what happened. Definitely. I think that's a good place to start actually because I only really came to realise just how pivotal that event was for me fairly recently and when i say fairly recently i would say like you know the last five six years long story short what what happened when i was younger is my mum would suffer from anaphylactic attacks so for the listeners that's like worst form of allergy where your blood pressure drops you can lose consciousness you go into shock there's a number of different reasons why people can go into shock. Sometimes it's cardiogenic, sometimes it's due to allergic reactions. And in this case, it appeared that mum, for no reason, would have these uh, attacks and there wasn't a trigger found. That sort of was the start of her journey as a patient. During that time, me and the rest of the family were always like on high alert, right? We had to make sure that, you know, uh, if mum was driving or mum was out, we'd make sure that we always had like a telephone or the ability to call an ambulance because th- these could happen just randomly. Uh, and, and they did, you know, like once every few months or something like that. And if anyone's like ever had the experience, it's, it's pretty shocking. One of the things that my mum thought was really useful for me to know how to do was deliver adrenaline via an EpiPen. And so I remember vividly, one day my mum called me into the lounge and said, look, mummy needs her medication. Here is this pen. What you need to do is take the lid off and then push it into my thigh until you find it, till you hear a click. I remember the time taking the lid off stuff, really, really freaked out and scared and all the rest of it, pushed us in. And then she feigned rubbing her thigh and it was a dummy EpiPen, but she was like, look, you've learned how now to inject me with adrenaline if I ever need it in the future. And that was my first sort of experience of like medicine and how important it was. And I think watching my mum, A, be diagnosed with a condition, B, having her medical treatments and pharmaceuticals to treat it, but also C, overcoming it using a diet lifestyle approach. Like she went back to like Ayurvedic principles. She went back to like clean eating. So I watched her sort of like get stronger and really learn about her body and that and that kind of instilled in us more of an ayurvedic culture than perhaps we would have had otherwise you know had mum i mean every indian family is all, all about you know the turmeric and rubbing coconut oil and my dad's are obsessed with mustard oil like puts it all over his legs and all the rest of it you know cures everything apparently but you know i think more so than most families because mom had those issues quite early on in her life and yeah that kind of like planted the seed if i'm honest about how important it is to look after your well-being but also like 
it probably was the reason why I went on to, to do medicine because neither of my parents, who are both in business, I should say, wanted me to go into medicine. It's, it's kind of unusual for an Indian family not to want their kids to go into medicine, but that, that was the case for me. I can only like, I don't know, I'm just trying to visualize that moment, right? And you're 11 years old, you probably had a busy day at school, probably been in a tuck shop, ate too many sweets and chocolates or was on the playground and then you're thrown into that situation, which is, you know, our parents are the most important people and to watch your mom go through that, it must have felt like probably quite difficult because it's, you know, someone who's really powerful, you probably saw and then going through this pain, right? And, you know, deep down, you probably knew that if you don't put this into her leg, like she may die. I'll be honest, mate, it's quite hard to remember exactly how I was feeling as like an 11 year old, but I yeah, do yeah. remember it was a lot of fear. It was very nervous. I remember like uncapping the top of the EpiPen and just getting quite fidgety and stuff. And that sense of relief as well, like straight away afterwards, like, oh, that was just a dummy. But then like the, the realization that, you know what, I can do this, you know, I, I have the capacity and the ability to help if needed. And that I think that gave me that sense of identity that perhaps I didn't have before about the ability to heal, the ability to cure, the ability, and, and to want to sort of establish myself as that more and probably why I went into medicine. And you know, we're skipping forward a little bit here, but like that sense of identity being embedded from an 11 year old to now like I'm turning 37, you know, it spanned over 20 years and me now wanting to change direction and sort of dive into a more entrepreneurial skin and change sort of like my vocation has come with a lot of sort of uh, internal friction, right? Like an internal sort of like, hmm. am I doing the right thing? I'm turning back on something that I've dedicated my whole life to. Um, I'm still helping people in a way, you know, through Doctor's Kitchen and Preventive Medicine. I truly believe like food is the route to, you know, healing a lot of people. But still, when you're not doing the day to day, when you're not there, like jabbing people with a needle, it's a, it's a different experience, right? It's incredible to see that, you know, and I think all of us humans go through situations, but sometimes that your one was, yeah, huge. I think moments in one's life can be expanded upon, which can always be looked at in two different ways. Some people might look at that experience like how traumatic and horrific was that for an 11 year old to be given that sort of responsibility that could have like really tormented me for the rest of my life. If anything, you know, I applied a growth mindset to it. You know, Caroline Dweck, who, who's written an incredible book about growth mindsets talks about it's the way in which we approach scenarios and events in our life that can either lead to growth or lead to you know, destruction. And I'm reading a lot about stoicism at the moment in that our perception of external events leads something to be either positive or negative. And so I always try and look at scenarios, however small or large, and try and see the benefit of those, you know, whether that's in business, whether that's in the day-to-day, -day, whether it's, you know, scenarios that you see on the news, like what's going on in Ukraine right now is like horrific. And what, what we see in politics at the moment is horrific, but like, what are the things that we can learn from all these different events? I think that's really important. And I think part of the entrepreneurial journey is actually trying to hone that skill of being that positive person. It's something that you went through with your, own experiences as well. Like you had to sort of branch out and, and make sure that you lent into that growth mindset because otherwise it kind of leads to failure, right? Or, you know, just a, a negative perspective and things. No, I love it. I think the ability to balance the good and bad in each situation is 
like take the lessons at the same time, appreciate what's happening in that moment is a huge skill. And um, you've obviously, you're displaying it in abundance. But that, you've, got, you've got to do this like every day. Like uh, people describe me as um, the guy who would drink a glass of water and be like, this is the best glass of water I've ever drunk. Like that that's literally how my, my sister like refers to me as like, he's the guy that like comments on the, the the incredibleness of the water. Yeah, I have down days all the time as I'm sure does everyone, but do I try and learn from those days? Do I try and learn from the frustrations? Like I was just cursing my MailChimp. I'm, I'm literally sending out a newsletter today and MailChimp is like, a terrible, unless they're sponsoring the podcast, a terrible product. It's so bad. It's like, it's so ubiquitously used, but there are so many janky functions of it. And I'm like cursing and I have to, I have to always like bring myself down to a level and be like, okay, Rupee, come on. Like, you know, a, a hedonic ad- adaptation right here. You know, <laughs> you didn't have the ability to like send an email to thousands of people prior to this. So just, just check yourself. So yeah, every, you've got to hone this skill every single day and every single moment, otherwise, you know, it's just uh, it's just hot air. No, totally. Um, I actually don't mind MailChimp, so I'll, I'll be the even side. But yeah, I get it. Look, I think all tech has got some shit parts. Um, all right, we'll talk about that. By the way, I do know a lot about that space, so we can <laughs> chat about that one offline. I'm going to fast forward for people. You know, you went to Imperial Uni, you went to one of the top medicine schools and then became a GP and really successful at that. And then... I know during that period when you are becoming a GP, like certain voices start coming to you and saying, hey, look, do you remember that moment? Like food is medicine. Like let's, that message is so, so important. And I know you were traveling around the world. You had some epic stories, which um, maybe on other podcasts we can share for jokes. But I know there was this moment in Australia, you're in Australia and suddenly that voice inside you is saying food is medicine, food is medicine. That, that voice is getting so loud that, yeah, you're hearing it. Like, can you can you take us back? To, can you take us to that moment? The uh, main bit of the story, I think, that we've skipped over slightly is me getting ill myself. So when I became a junior doctor, I started suffering from uh, arrhythmia, which is you know, a fancy word for irregular heart rhythm. My heartbeat was like going 200 beats per minute. Good Delicious, who is our producer, uh, was a friend and has been a friend since then, actually, since I was at uh, Basel. The legend of legends. The legend of legends, who is our producer that will never be heard on this podcast because he's too shy. He was a doctor at the same district general hospital as me when I, um, uh, starting as a, as a junior, it was like 2009, so like going back well over 10 years now. I just flipped into atrial fibrillation for no reason, no triggers. I was a bit tired, I've been like, you know, 10 days of night shifts or whatever anyone who's a doctor or knows a doctor knows about how grueling those are. And that's really one of the turning points of my life. The fact that I was for one second a doctor and then the next moment I was a patient and I was like in a hospital bed and hooked up to the cardiac monitor and all the rest of it. Anyway, long story short, after going to see a whole bunch of different cardiologists and getting treatment and being put on medications and being told I need to have an ablation, which is a cardiac intervention, I had my mum talking to me saying, you need to think about your lifestyle. You need to think about your diet before you entertain something more drastic, like a cardiac uh, intervention. And honestly, like I'd forgotten a lot of those things that my mum was doing. And that actually led me to go into medicine in the first place during medical school. Because when you're at med school, 
you're drilled in a certain way of doing things. And th there's a reason why, because you know we practice evidence-based medicine. You don't want cavaliers. It's not like entrepreneurship where you're actually rewarded for zigging where everyone else is zagging. Everyone needs to practice uniformly. That's the kind of construct that I was working in. When she was saying, you know, you need to do diet and lifestyle, no one else is talking about that kind of stuff. I really didn't appreciate it, but to appease her, I really basically went and tried to improve my diet and lifestyle, you know, looking after my gut health, making sure I had a plant predominant diet, making sure that wasn't when I wasn't doing night shifts, I was like sleeping better. Yeah, I was yeah. doing a whole bunch of other things, meditation, you know, slowing down my breath rate, all these different things. And then, yeah, my AF episodes just went. That was a turning point for me. That was like, okay, there's something in here. There's something in diet and lifestyle. And this is something that I need to talk to patients about. And so, I didn't develop the confidence to actually have those conversations with patients until I was fully qualified as a GP. I'd been working for a number of years. I happened to be in Australia and I started thinking to myself, okay, well, I need to start talking about this in a more public forum rather than just in the confines of a private consultation room with, with patients. Yeah, I started putting stuff out on, uh, on Instagram as, as everyone does. So you've taken these, you've got these solutions now and they're working, right? I guess what moment did you have that confidence to actually go and put on Instagram? Because at that moment, okay, Instagram was like, you know, it's buzzing now. It's buzzing. There's a vibe there. There's a party. And you're like, okay, let's join the party. And let's go with this food is medicine angle. What gave you the ultimate confidence? Because I guess you knew it was right, but then there's probably some stuff holding you back as well. Or was it just like, hey, let's go for it? I was holding back for years, years. I was pressed. I was like, uh, I remember chatting to a buddy of mine, Pat, who's a GP now, back in 2012 about this idea, this concept that I called Doctor's Kitchen because I thought it was a cute name. Man, I kept that stuff to myself. There, there's like videos of me like uh, doing cooking sessions that no one will ever see. It's literally just like me flopping my lines, me like not cutting things properly, you know, trying to manage cooking and then looking at a camera at the same time, like all these different skills that I now sort of take for granted. I was like kind of honing them in the background. And I chat to a few people about it. I'll be honest, I wasn't like building in public, which is what I advise now to like fail in public because that's how you learn. You've got a tech product. The, the worst you can do, unless it's like something absolutely magical or transformative is build it in stealth mode. Like whenever I hear that from entrepreneurs, I'm like, face plant. You know, <laughs> you want to build in public and you want to get it in front of customers as soon as possible so they can tell you where you're flopping and you can make it a better product. That's my experience of it anyway. I hold my hand up. I, I, I'm, I, I stand to be corrected by the master of everything tech related, which is Jay Radia. But my, my impression is that I should have started a lot earlier than I did, but I, I kind of started it in my own sort of pace. So I, I spoke to a few people about it and they were like, Rupee, you got to put it out there. I spoke to Amit about it, a bunch of other people. And they're like, yeah, definitely do it. And I was so scared about, clicking record on that camera and pushing publish about the backlash, about some doctor talking about food as medicine, about like putting my head above the parapet, you know, all these different sort of things that hold you back. And that's what comes from like doing a whole bunch of reps. It's like this podcast. It's the case of having to do the work in putting the reps in that will make you a much better interviewer, a much better public speaker, and a much better person uh, who can build that personal brand? Because you're an amazing public speaker. I mean, you've built companies, God's sake, you know, you've done all these things, but it's a different skill set that you can only really hone by practicing. No, no, totally. And I can 
totally relate to that. Obviously, I'm interviewing you here today and it's unique, right? It's live. I know it's going to potentially be listened to my mum and that's it probably. But, you know, I think it's... Uh... Hey, Joe's mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your mum's a massive fan. I love it. That's so funny. Oh, she's a huge fan of yours. I still remember when she first met you. Like, it was actually on my birthday. We're going off on one, sorry. But like, <laughs> yeah, literally... Um, it was my birthday. We're doing bowling at in Shoreditch, um, All Star Lanes, and um, she saw you, and she saw me, and she actually ran to you, um, <laughs> demanded a selfie, and it was like a proper like um, idol moment or like celebrity moment for her. She took a photo of you, then she asked for five photos. She, I think it was like five or seven. She wasn't happy with the first, and then she got the photo, and then I think she just gave you a hug and ran off and like was giddy so it was nice to see my mom experience that um but no no no, it's um that moment was good but yeah no going back to that moment like food is medicine right you you were one of the first people to really push that message right but i know looking back if i look back at even you know most people's times when this happens like there's normally someone that we're afraid of right it's either our parents it might be our friends it might be our cousins and like you know it's shit but like you know this era that we've probably gone through like if you're at least a millennial or whatever year like you know if you were born and you're like 18 years plus like you do at the moment get you get compared with your family right you get compared with your siblings your cousins like there's this like family ranking i know there is this invisible ranking that oh like which kid's doing the best right so you're now GP, you're now like right in the top, top league, right? And you're like, eh, I'm going to like take a bit of a punt here and be this Instagram dude and hopefully spread this message. What was holding you like back when you look back? Because it's normally someone or some, yeah, it's normally someone. Do you remember what it was for you and if you could share? Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Like I'm an open book, I can share a lot of these things. And I think it was uh, my own self-doubt. It was the embarrassment. It was like, you know, the equivalent of a 50-year-old joining TikTok, you know, that's sort of the feeling that you get when you're like jumping on social media for the first time. And you also feel like, you know, you've built up this identity, you know, registered with the GMC here. I'm a qualified doc, you know, I, I see patients and they tell me their most vulnerable secrets and their most vulnerable uh, things that they go through. I mean, we talk about depression, impotence, we talk about bereavement, we talk about all these different things. And like, and here's this doctor now playing with vegetables, like smiling at camera, being all, like trying to be like Jamie Oliver. Do you know what I mean? It was those, those little things that seem kind of minuscule and insignificant, but they actually build up in your head. And unless you can actually get over that, which it took me years to do, years to do. And yet, unless you can really find alignment in what you're doing and what truly makes you happy and what you feel is having a massive impact on the world, you'll never get past that that first step. You'll never get off the start line. Who knows, man? I could have been a GP for like 20 years before I decided to, to do anything about it. And by then, you know, someone else might have already started or I, I wouldn't have refined the skills that I need, you know, public speaking, the, the ability to express opinions, the ability to interview or be interviewed. You're doing a great job, by the way, Jay. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You've now got the confidence to go on social media. You start posting. Um, I remember the start. I do remember seeing, I did even look, look back at some of those posts and you know, you're, you're starting off, like you're getting the messaging right, you're working it out. But I know quite early on, you already had some of your fellow doctors, right? Probably people that you even look up to telling you that your message is not right. Food is not medicine. And I remember it's a really tough period for you, right? Um, yeah. People you look up to. And like, this is what's gonna happen to a lot of people who voice their you know, a new movement, right? So like, how did you deal with, like literally let's just call them haters, they were haters, right? So in that, like, how are you dealing with it in that period? 
Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, mate. It was shit. It was absolutely shit. It was a shit time. I had to deal with people who I thought were more than colleagues, were actually friends who suddenly turned around and not, it didn't do it in a diplomatic way. It wasn't like they called me up. It wasn't like they sent me a message. It was, they just put it on social media. So for everyone to, so not only like, uh, are you like having negative feedback on something that you're doing, that negative feedback is now being distributed in a way that willingly misinterprets your message, purposely misinterprets your messages and paints you out to be a fraud in front of everyone else. And, you know, it happened on a relatively big scale. There were things that were said about me and all the rest of it. At the time, I remember it was pretty low. I had a, a, a few friends, a group of very trusted people, you know, some of whom were yourself and... Uh, I spoke to a whole bunch of, you know, uh, just close people in my network that I knew were trustworthy. I think the two things are really important. I didn't engage with any of this negativity. You know, I didn't retaliate. I didn't feel like I needed to or anything. But I now look back on it. I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad that happened. I'm so glad that happened because it it allowed me to shred a whole bunch of people from my my life and my tension span suddenly widened because I could really focus on things that are actually allowing me to to grow and actually contributing to my ultimate mission and the reason why I do what I do. So it meant I could focus more clearly. It also taught me a, a really important lesson about being careful with whom you associate yourselves with and who you trust. And also like from that moment on, things have just got better and better. The business, in terms of the reach, in terms of the opportunities. Now there's less people talking about who is sort of in my lane because I've I've built my own. And that's the way I choose to to live and breathe everything I want to do. It's like, you, you've got to be in your own lane, but you, you've got to develop the confidence to do that. And it's those little setbacks, if you want to call them setbacks, that allow you to, to sort of pave the road. Now, what you're discussing is, like, if anyone wants to make a big change, they will... Unfortunately, people in their field will show haters. I still, and I still have that video in my mind of Elon Musk when he in SpaceX, where a lot of the most famous people in that industry, even mm. you know people that have gone to space, they just didn't believe in his mission. Yeah. He's literally crying on the yeah. screen. I st whenever I watch it, I even get I cry with him. I'm not gonna lie, I cry with him. And yeah, it's such a. And when you were saying that, I felt you know your your emotion come through. It's because you know what you're doing is for the greater good. But you know what? It makes you stronger, right? As you said, it gives you that extra. Um, muscle that you actually need later on um, and it comes through so yeah that's a really good analogy not that I'm putting myself in the same level as Elon but you've got to think about people who have got massive public profiles who to be fair Elon does bring a lot yeah, of yeah. shit on himself like you know he's not the best and the most eloquent on Twitter he but it. that aside he loves a bit of banner. <laughs> yeah he loves he loves the banter yeah, so yeah. he's got to take what he gives as well you know I'm not really one to call people out online and stuff but his mission is so clear and well articulated. It's the reason why there's such a strong culture at like Tesla and SpaceX, because it's not because of the perks. It's not because they've got like a slide and a foosball table and all that kind of stuff that, you know, is the gimmicky stuff that like Silicon Valley has. It's because there's a really clear mission with like a really extravagant sort of goal. And he attracts that sort of vibe. And, and, and when people who he respects, like former astronauts say, this is all rubbish, or, you know, we shouldn't be an interplanetary species. This is completely useless, yada, yada. You can understand why that cuts so deep. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, I mean, he's 
he's proven all of his haters wrong so far and he will continue to do so, I guess. And I love it. And he calls them out, right? And I wish uh, more entrepreneurs have confidence in like calling out some of the... Like I remember when people were like shorting his stock, he just started calling them out. I loved it. He's just... Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I feel the best entrepreneurs are really good at what they do and it's really meaningful and purposeful, but at the same time, they just have jokes. Like I think even for me, like I feel that like your work has to be play. And if it isn't, then that's like... Like to me, like the all-star, like, you know, the pound for pound, the top, top people, they just are top of their game and they're just having banter and they're joking. Like, you know, they're going to win. Like, you know, winning is obviously important, but like they're just, they're just smiling. Yeah. They're just smiling. I know like, and like, I don't know, I see Elon and he's just smiling and I love it. I'm, I'm smiling with him. We're talking about Elon. He's got like clear mission, clear purpose and all the rest of it. I reckon there's probably loads of uh, instances where within his own company culture, it's not particularly joyful or kind, right? So it's not to say that, you know, these are the only things that you need. I think everyone can be improved and that sort of kind spirit is definitely tied to mission, but there are other ways in which you can improve it as well, which I'm sure we'll get to chat about on the, on the podcast. I, I think a clear mission, clear visualization or articulation of what you're trying to do is, is really important. And it doesn't need to be like a ground, like what I'm trying to do is like, you know, help a billion people leverage the power of food to improve well-being and prevent disease. It doesn't have to be as grand a mission as that. You know, if you're in the business of selling ice cream or you're in the business of selling tables or hardware or something, you Hello, can why still one have billion? like a really- um, Why one billion? I'm curious. Because it's a nice, nice round number. <laughs> <laughs> no, why 1 billion? Uh, I think because at this point, it's what I feel is the addressable market without yeah, yeah. taking the piss. Like, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a number of people that won't have access to online grocery or won't be attracted to the idea of nutritional medicine. And actually, some in a lot of cases, a lot of people are dealing with malnutrition for whom my content is wholly unrelatable. So... Yeah, and with the population growth rate, a billion, I think, is probably... I think we can get there in my lifetime, if not beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's why. I mean, like, let's say... I mean, literally, back of the envelope, you've got 300 million people plus in America. You've got close to 100 million in the UK. You've got uh, English-speaking people in India, I would say at least 200, 300 out of a billion population. You've got Australasia. You've got a lot of Europe. I reckon that's like, we could we could really go for that. Um, so yeah, that's my big hairy goal. I love it. I love it. 